Welcome to the journey of an esthete, a comprehensive examination of all things aesthetic, the arts, the humanities, and what it means to be human. Mr. Avery Lucas. Yes, Mr. Mitch Hamilton. How are you? Hampton. Um, this is this is this is um the journey of an esthete podcast. Mm-hmm. You are the guest on this episode right now. Um, well, thank you very much. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm so honored to have you on this show. This, um, I'm going to try to speak briefly uh, up front. Um, you know, you, you, we're going to start doing a series uh, on the show about um, tailoring clothing, craft of making clothing, style, etc. things subject like that. And okay. on my list, you were the first name to contact, uh, at least when it comes to menswear. Uh, you are a true maven to menswear. You had been in the field for many years, many decades. Uh, you probably know as much, if not more, than anybody else. And you are yeah. also someone that knows about, about cutting. You know, there are some menswear enthusiasts, but they're not necessarily know about, you know, the the cutting and the tailoring, you know about that stuff as well. And the heartbeat of it. The heartbeat of it, or as you as we'll talk about, you said the other day, the canvas is everything, right? Is that quote? Is that what you said? The canvas. That is correct, sir. That is correct. So we're going to talk about the canvas. You're going to explain what you mean by that. Um, but but first of all, we're just going to delve into your personal biography a little bit of how you you know got to where you are now, to where you know so much about menswear. Or fashion or style in general, and just uh, give us a little peek into that journey, uh, starting from the 70s on through the 80s and 90s. Uh, I know that you uh, worked at St. Laurie, a great shop in Harrison James and, and in New York City, but there's a lot else there. There's a lot more there. So do you mind starting from more the beginning and going into going into that a Absolutely. First of all, I want to announce that it is a pleasure and an honor to be a host on your podcast. Yep. Um, I'm thankful for the way that you express yourself about me and understanding who are true menswear historians. Uh, Grateful. Mm-hmm. So I get to try to make a real long story shorter than I can. <laughs> and it starts, to be honest, I go back to the age of eight, being in the third grade. My father was somewhat of a maven of dressing himself. Mm-hmm. And um, being his only son, he wanted to probably create a little image of himself, a little me, little mini me. So he started dressing. He started dressing me up, yeah. and um, I wanted to be like the rest of the kids in the neighborhood, or perhaps yeah. even the school or the community. Right. Um, I was kind of attracted to fashion. Was in yeah. and my father had a very strong voice. So it was like no. Mm-hmm. We're going to get a pair of gray flannel trousers and a navy blazer. And I'm like, oh, what am I going to do with that? He's going to laugh me, whatever, whatever. And so he did. Yeah. And a ch- there was a store back in the 60s, and it was called Robert Hall. 
Men's fashion. I know Robert Hall. Yeah. I wait, wait, wait. Slow down. I have ads. See, I have – so I collect old Esquires, right, from the 60s. Mm-hmm. And they always have that fo- that ad of Robert Hall with the older man and the younger man, and they talk it with in, in their in their pick stitched, you know. Uh, pick, oh yeah, pick they have better quality of garment. Yeah, and that's so that's the style very much. That so you were very much in vogue of the mid '60s, right? Or or if that would have been the that is what my father kind of took me by the ear and directed me to, yeah. and it became I liked it. Because I was different, and I pride myself on being an unusual character mm-hmm. um, and being different, mm-hmm. um, being an artist and being creative. And that was in me early. So going and attending school, and I'm getting all the compliments from the little girls in the cafeteria and the, and on the playground, and I'm yep. standing there with a three-piece suit on yeah. with a four-hand tie or a bow tie. Yeah. Of course, for my peers, the boys, you know, I was picked on, and you know, but I paid no, no attention. And I kind of felt that I was on to something here. Uh, I, I, you know, I got something going with the clothing and the sense of style and the way that I'm dressing. And it just became yeah. an energy in me that's still with me to this moment. Yeah. And I would like to give credit to my father, mm-hmm. Joe Thomas Lucas. May he rest in peace. Mm-hmm. But I got to give him credit because... Him and my mom, outside of God, created me, brought me into right. this world. Right. And he took me by the hand, just wanted me to, me to always look like a gentleman. Sure. And I liked it. I was intrigued by it. Um, my grades did not stay at the average that they wanted to be. They did decline because I was too busy being stylish. Right. Picking out what I'm going to wear sure. the night before. I'm in grade school, man. What grade, What kids think about that in grade school? Well, I'm one. You're one of them. And, uh, there, there were a hand, handful of, of, of boys, and only a handful. I guess Ralph Lauren was probably like that, I'm guessing, when he was uh, when he was a boy. Maybe not, I don't know, but or I'm guessing some other people. But it's highly unusual. Highly unusual yeah. and totally unique. Yeah. I wanted to ask you a detail question because we're I'm looking at now a um oh not a daily news record. Um an old I know one of the old um trade publications. What, uh, well, there was DNR, which is daily news right, record. Right, right. But it's from the it's from nineteen sixty five and just because of just because of you, you inspired me to open up to that Robert Hall ad, you know, in the and Norman Hilton, you know, and Tripler, and that kind of, those kind of, kind of ads, you know. Um, oh, absolutely. So, was the style you were wearing would have been would have been typically the kind of style that uh, for which there was a resurgence because of the show of Mad Men, similar era? Would you say it's the same years or? I would say similar era. It was a three button, a true three button, not a three button row to the middle. Right. A true. Button with a six button waistcoat. Yeah. The lower pockets on the waistcoat was well 
but with a dummy, a dummy flat too. Yeah. The flat wasn't real. And they sent a vent. Of course. And it, of course. And it started out with a Buckingham Gray. Did it have a hook on the vent? Um, no, not on the suit. The oh. hook vent came on the sport coat yeah. and the blazer. Yeah. But on the suit, it was not a hook vent. Right. That was a too sporty of a detail. Detail, right. It would yeah, they wanted to be keep like, it almost clean. Like- yeah, it would almost be like having patch pockets on a suit, which you wouldn't see, I don't think, too much back then. But um, um, that's really interesting. Um, so you, so I guess, you, so I guess you're already, even though you're a a, 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 a child, I guess a boy, right? Yeah. I guess you're already learning about your craft in in a odd sort of way, if you think about it, right? You're learning, you're learning about, well, the, you know. Go ahead. I'm in schooling. I am in training. Right. I am being pampered and nourished. Yeah. For my teenage and young adulthood and manhood. Mm-hmm. I wish he was still around so I could just give him a hug and a kiss and tell him how thankful I am. Mm-hmm. But um, it has not only just the term of dress, it also. And we have to look at the whole picture. Mm-hmm. When I say the whole picture, it's the universe. That's it, 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 it starts to attract me to art, paintings, flowers, cooking, cars, mm-hmm. castles, homes, vintage anything. It was just the whole education. Yeah. My life has been a whole entire education. Yeah. I'm still a student at it. Mm. Always will be. Because yeah, you can never it's do it true. all it's, it's, in one lifetime. You can't do it. Well, we, you know, some people f- believe we have many lifetimes and, you know, there's, there are, there are eternal, eter- eternal matters as well as, as well as finite matters. And, and of course, um, I, I, I feel that your father, you know, may rest in peace. I feel that your father has that communication from you. About your yeah. your gratitude about yeah. that, so I, I I'm 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 secure in that in that knowledge, um, if I may say that. But but um, so you're 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 starting your schooling, but I guess the thing that that I marvel at, and I don't know if I want to skip too far ahead because again, you know, podcasts are pretty, you know, podcasts are kind of um, exploratory type of um, affairs and so I, I keep thinking about this year 1979 right because that's um did you want to discuss before that when you go to new york or did you want to um, actually yeah because there's an important factor and it happened at the age of 15 years old and nine months yeah. jackson five was coming to hampton coliseum in virginia yep and I knew about six months before. Yeah. It's in June. My birthday's in March. So my dad asked me, what do you want for your birthday? And I said, it's a sewing machine. He looked at me with 15 eyes. <laughs> he asked my mother, did you hear what he just said? She said, yeah, he wants a sewing machine. And he said, you know, mm. you know, intelligent or what? Mm. You going to make curtains or something? I said, no, I'm going to make clothing, Dad. 
Yeah, you want to probably want to make stuff. your own clothes, probably. Yeah, I'm going to make stuff that I want to wear. Want to wear? Sure. I don't even do like that to God. So the red leisure suit in velvet. Oh wow! In 1972, I made it. A- Avery, hold that thought. You know, the first concert I attended was Jackson Five in Madison Square Garden, 1970, 71. <laughs> I was only two years behind you, buddy. <laughs> yeah, that was it was an extraordinary concert. I mean, musically and Absolutely. I even think. Um, do you remember? I think they were even doing doing Sly Stone covers. I think they covered oh. a couple of Sly Stone. Oh, Sly Stone, Larry Graham, right. whole Sly and the Family Stone, as well as Jimi Hendrix. That's right. Was was some cool cats, man. Mm-hmm. I mean, that stuff was like really cutting edge. It was kind of avant garde. But it was their style, the haircuts, the the way they talk, the language, the whole kind of entertaining world that they live in. And I still say today, clothing should be entertaining, not just worn. It should be entertaining. If not, go on putting a pair of chinos and a polo shirt and top size. (laughs) So so you're going to do it. But if you're going to do it, do it. You're, and that's asking a lot, and that's coming from me. You gotta understand where I'm coming from. This is my life. That's right. So I expect other times, other designers and tailors to kind of think that way. But most of these guys are about numbers. I am about the artisan of it. The art. I don't care about money. Yeah. So, so tell me about that red leisure suit. You were pretty proud of it. I'm sure it was very well made. So oh, I was pretty did, proud of it. How proud I was. There was. Times Herald, which is the no- local n- newspaper in Virginia at the time, and it was a Newport News, Hampton, Tidewater, Norfolk, Virginia Beach. Yeah. My picture came out, the concert was on Saturday. My picture came out on a Sunday of me and my high school girlfriend oh, walking wow. through the Coliseum, and they said, the man that outdressed Michael Jackson. Whoa. So my father became very supported. Yeah. He said, and they were, you know, the family was proud of me, and of course my, I was, you know, my ego <laughs> gained a thousand pounds, and I just realized then at 16, what? I know what I wanted to do. I wanted to create. Yeah. Not just to be in a creative, someone that can sit down and look at cough and, and, and sketch right. detailed pictures of what they do and yeah. spec it out. Um, I wanted to be able to close my eyes mm-hmm. and create in the darkness. In the darkness, that's interesting. In the darkness. Yeah, because there's nothing there to inspire you. There is no influence. You are blank. So create something. And I just started creating, creating in 1974 when I graduated from high school. My parents wanted, my father was talking about law. My mother was talking about medicine. Sure. And I said, well, I'm going to a design school. Yep. What are you going to learn there? I'm going to learn how to cut, make patterns, drape. I'm going to learn about fabric. Yeah. Okay. You know, financially, we'll support you. And I went to a design school in Atlanta um, from 74 to 76. Um, 
Mm-hmm. It seems like everywhere I've been in terms of my education, right. it was always a final project or a yes. fashion show at the end of the semester or the right. end of the year. And I was winning prizes for best design. That's beautiful. So That's beautiful. By now, there's no doubt in my mind what I'm going to do. I kind of give myself a 10-year span. What I'm going to do for the next 10 years? I did not realize that the next 10 years will become my entire life. Do, do you mind and, getting into the threads a little bit and discussing men's styles from 74, 75, 76? Because those are some – you were in the thick of it, and those are some – um, some really um, powerful, memorable st- styles of those years. Well, what I, was in the of, I was in the thick of it because we had a we had the flamboyant guy, we had the entertainer, you know, the showbiz people. Then you had the corporate guy, and I was somewhere in between. And I've always been attractive, and still today, mm-hmm. I'm an Ivy leader. In terms of their sense of dress, I would go back even then. I would look at photos from the fifties at Princeton, mm-hmm. Harvard, Yale. How these guys were wearing their clothing and, and their and their coat, you know, no padding in the shoulder, just soft. And as time going, I've always leaned towards Ivy League, but I put a hell of a twist in it. Yeah, you gotta that Ivy League style alone is it needs to be. You have to do something with it, of course, which you realize then. But I guess so. So, so am I to understand that you were part of a niche of Ivy League style in the mid seventies, or kind of? I was a part of a, a niche of Ivy League and entertainment. Your Sammy oh. Davis Jr., your Harold Belafonte, oh, wow. your Sidney Portier, how they dress. Oh, wow. On screen and off screen. Off screen is always more important to me on than on screen, is because there's always a costume designer or a stylist or a wardrobe. They help them put those looks together. No, I don't want to see that. I want to catch this man walking down the street on holiday in southern France, what he's wearing. <laughs> yeah. And that is a big difference. So yeah. I focus in on that, the real look. The real day wear, evening wear, sure. cocktail, dinner, parties. I was very impressed with them. Um, I just recently rewatched the movie Hit uh, mm. with uh, Billy D. Williams and Richard Pryor and Gwen Wells from 1972, Sydney Fury movie. And I was very impressed with, I was so impressed with Billy D. Williams clothes in that in that film they're just fantastic i mean i don't you know oh, well, look, let's not forget lady sing the blues lady sings the blues it was that, not that. diana ross that made that movie it was billy d williams and his wardrobe that's right that's right was impeccable cut the make the styling of it yeah. the way he, the way he wore his hat mm. the way he tied his forehand knot it was yeah. precision yeah, it's really and yes, it's fascinating. Um, all of this has played a major part of my influence throughout my career. Right. You know, so and my thing was just always being humble. It's not just what you're doing, Avery. 
what is the other people out yeah, there what's doing? Yeah, going on around you and all that. Yeah. Yeah. How are they wearing to, their two-button you, you don't me asking, you're starting to win prizes at this design school in, in a, in, what would you say, was it in Atlanta? Uh, uh, yeah, and then I entered FIT wow. in 1980, graduated in 1982, and there's a big award. Uh, a, a, it, it's your... I guess it's your announcement. You're coming out into the industry now. Everybody's looking for jobs. Um, Alan Flusser oh, critiqued no. it. <laughs> he did. Um, Jeffrey Banks critiqued it as well. Was do you, do you, played a part on all the graduate students mm-hmm. being in the being in the in, in the altars, helping them build their final project. Yeah, and uh, um, I did tales. At 23 years old, mm-hmm. I did a set of tales. Wow. Two, Midnight Blue and Black. That's beautiful. All made by hand. Very little machine work went into those garments. Mm. And after the show, everybody applauded. And I said, well, you know, I thought some cat that was doing a little Versace look, they was going to win it. And they announced my name of yeah. Design of the Year. Mm-hmm. And... I was probably the most happiest young man in New York City at that moment, um, which led to. I, I gotta ask you a kind so many questions. I want so I have to ask you stories that pop into your mind about New York in seventy nine, eighty, and eighty one. Those were some some powerful years in New York City, and and also, I'm just curious what Jeffrey Banks and Flusser said, or if it matters, or if you, or if it, uh, yeah. you know. Mitch, I don't know how honest I can be on a podcast, but that's just a part of my character. Right. So I'm going to be very honest. That's they funny. both were intimidated. A uh, young man that was oh, up man. and rising. I could, tell, I could feel the intimidation because I reached out to them both. Mm-hmm. Perhaps I can be an assistant. Perhaps I can do some apprenticeship. And it was always, they never got back to me. So, you know, just been having common sense. You don't have to be a brain surgeon. Yeah. It's like, you're too much, man, too young, and you're too strong. Because these guys can, can create clothing, can create looks, but can they design? No. Do they, do they, mm. is their heart like beating at irregular rates when they see something and feel something and they, you know, they can taste it? Do they like can't lose sleep at night? <laughs> Haven't yeah. slept for days because your brain is running a thousand miles an hour? No, they are not. They were businessmen and I respect them. The difference between most of them, I'm an artist. Oh, yeah. I don't care about money. Yeah. Don't care. I I kind of walk away from the business side, and I've got people in place that handles that. I just right. want to create. Right. Well, that's 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 why you're an ideal guest on our show because that's the theme of our podcast is the creation. Um. Do, so, um, is this a good time to talk about the art of the canvas, or do you want to wait on that or delve into that? Now? No, we can we can get right into it because I've given some thought. Um, earlier today, I was thinking about the importance of the canvas. Mm-hmm. You know, 
you can buy a good piece of the cloth. You buy a very fine piece of the cloth, and it can be given to one of the renowned bespoke tailors throughout the world. Mm-hmm. But if this canvas has not been paid attention to, it's like building a chassis on a car, the frame. Mm-hmm. If you got faulty chassis issues, balance, mm. your car's not going to hold up. It's never going to drive right. It's never going to perform right. It's just not going to be right. That's interesting. That's- I look at the coat as being the same. Yeah, it is. It's the same animal. Um, and it starts, well, how do you, what is the foundation? The foundation is your canvas. Yes. Because everything else is going to cover that. <laughs> so, you know, people would know, your audience would know, what is he talking about? The canvas. Yep. The canvas is made out of fimo, which is a cloth and a weave that's usually made from wool and mohair. Mm-hmm. Then you have the chest piece, which is a part of the canvas mm-hmm. that has horse hair. That's just from like the chest up to the shoulder. Yeah. Then you've got the cotton wadding yeah. that goes over that so it never comes through the lining and smoke you. Yeah. You know, because horse hair is very coarse. It is, yeah. And it can come through. I've known some cases that have come through the lining, but using in fault, you know, linings that the horsehair was so coarse, it's poking the guy. He said, something keeps poking me in here. I said, oh, I know what. <laughs> I know what it is. It's the canvas. I'm I'm used to that. I've, I've, yeah, I know I know what you're talking about. But it, but um, it's um, it's pretty important. It's vital. Um, yes, it's very vital because yeah. you cut. We basically don't look at a man from a profile view, mm-hmm. which I think is important because that shows you real balance on the garment, yeah. side and here, um, and not so much the back. You know, a lot of these tailors, man, they got their clients in front of the mirror, and they says, "Oh, look at it, great! Look at this lapel! Look how I roll! Look at, it. but it just fits really nice." And then you look at the back of them; it's a bloody mess. Mm-hmm. The only person that points that part out is usually his spouse, his wife, or his mate. Yeah. Because they now go home. It's like, honey, he's doing something back here. He goes back to his table. And he says, hey, well, you know, my wife was telling me that it's kind of like breaking on one side and the other side is kind of twisting. Yeah. Um, because he's paid so much to the attention of the front of the coat, which is a disservice. Um the findings is what we call them in the industry, which is the canvas, the the, the sleeve head, um, the horse hair, the pads, shoulder pads, the waistband on the trousers, the lining, the crotch lining on the trousers. All of these are called findings. And the findings are basically the ingredients that it takes to build a beautiful garment. Mm-hmm. It has to. Because I see now, the day, time, 2021, nobody really cares about that, and it shows in the product. It shows. Yeah. You did not build the proper foundation for it to hang, 
mm. to wear as well as to look yeah. for what the price points are being charged for. Yeah. Yeah. So it's with me, it's, 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 it's the foundation. Everybody needs an anchor in life. You, me, just everybody. Anchor made this whole show possible. I'm immensely grateful to them. You too can use Anchor to make your own shows and create your own vision. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Well, yeah, you mentioned you mentioned as, as a point of contrast to the ideal, almost, uh, almost neoplatonic ideal of the canvas to sort of contemporary... Um, I don't know if it's ignorance or loss of of understanding of that, and 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 you know it's something it's something I don't think a lot about, um, just because you know you live in your own time, and unless you're in the in the business of clothes or at least making clothes, you're not going to think as much about trends or what's happening. Um, but you're you're saying that uh, the price points are out of whack with what you know. What people are being sold, or what? Uh, yeah, yeah, because price points now. See, back in the early eighties, throughout the nineties, and probably about ninety nine, it was we were in trouble, mm-hmm. handmade clothing, and that's what I am about. Right, I'm a creator of handmade clothing. Right, yeah, I can tell. I can build a garment. Yeah, I know cloth in my sleep, mm-hmm. but when I say a creator and a designer of handmade clothing, it has to be very close attention paid to the design of the garment, making sure that the collar is balanced with the lapel on knots, making sure it's like, it can be an eighth of an inch mm-hmm could play so much of a difference on the balance of everything that's on that garment. Right. Collar, lapel, breast pocket, lower pass, flap, mm-hmm. ticket, whatever style it may be. Right. It has to be a balance. It has to be a harmony. It's like opera. Yeah. It has to be beautiful. Mm-hmm. And I see a lot of guys there and they're doing lower pass pockets with an upper wealth. Well, not in my day. Yeah. We, if it's going to be packed, it's going to be three. Mm-hmm. And not one and two of another. Yeah. But that's fashion these days. Yeah, well, fashion always has a, um, <laughs> fashion always has, shall we say, a tenuous relationship to quality or taste, right? It's sort of its own, its own. It's, yeah, it, yeah. It, 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 it has to exist. Fashion is very necessary because it keeps us relevant. It keeps bringing about change. That's right. I mean, some of the guys that was building clothing in the 30s and 40s and 50s, if they were still living and they were still doing the same thing, Mm -hmm. they'd be unemployed. Wow. Yes. That's how it can be. I'm wondering, though, how you... you, uh, came to be a part of St. Laurie in New York. Was this something that happened later, or was it something... No, this happened a little later. It actually happened... Uh, my daughter was born in 89. It happened... Um, 
my ex-wife and I had a bespoke shirt making company. Mm-hmm. We inherited from a shirt maker that's been around since the 40s. It was time for him to retire. Mm-hmm. And my wife was a seamstress for him. Wow. So he came to her one day. He's leaving. He can go three more months and he's moving to Florida. Would you, are you interested in the building, in the business? Mm-hmm. He said, oh, I don't have no money. He said, don't worry about that. We'll work something out. Mm-hmm. And she came to me. We were dating. We hadn't really gotten married yet. Yeah. And we were dating. We were living together. And she says, his name was Jerome Dropman. Mm. Um, or Jerry. Jerry offered his business. And we need to offer you business. Say, What's going on? He's in trouble. He don't have the IRS behind him do it. I was just thinking, she says, no, he just wants want to give it up. And I want to know if I want to have it. Yeah. And I said, yeah, but that's a great opportunity. She said, but I can't do it without you. I said, why me? I don't know a whole lot about shirts. I'm a clothing guy. And she said, you will learn quickly. Mm -hmm. And in a matter of 45 days, Mm. I was making shirt patterns and cutting them by knife. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Rolling it up. Tied up with a strip of uh, shirting thread and pass it on. And she had four other ladies herself as five workers. And I was being responsible for the pattern making, designing, and the cutting and the fitting. As you know, making, sh- making shirting patterns is very difficult, right? It's, it's nothing to... Snip, Getting a proper fit on a shirt is very difficult because it sits right on top of your bone. That's right. It's not so... Difficult in clothing because you've got, again, the canvas, right. the padding, the inner lining. Shirt, all you've got is a two-fold English poplin mm-hmm. <laughs> right. on your body. So you got right, low shoulder, long neck, pitch neck. Guys want high collars, but he has no neck, and you got to talk him out of it. Uh-huh. But you got to be creative enough to give him the look as well as the function. Oh, so you're you're saying a, a customer who doesn't have much of a neck, you could create the illusion of the long collar without doing the long collar. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, I can create the illusion of, of a higher collar stand, a higher collar band without it bothering his unfortunate <laughs> physical anatomy. Will you, will you, and that's basically, you got to cut mm-hmm. down into the shirt. You got to bring it down and then build the collar up to where he's comfortable and he can move around. And he says, yeah, this looks nice. I like it. It's comfortable. Okay, job achieved. Will you... Uh, it's a Well, I have to ask about St. Laurie because were you instrumental in the public profile of that institution because I started getting things there. Well, let me get, okay, let me get back on the St. Louis. First of all, how we met. I um, was, again, we was at our shirt shop, and um, a gentleman walks in one day, <laughs> very update traditional, and by the name of Andy Cozen, hmm. owner of St. Laurie, second generation. Wow. And um, introduced himself, looked around, said that he wanted to have some shirts made. It's like, oh, wow, let's go over to the fabric selection. And then he says, let me tell you why I'm really here. I was like, oh, boy. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, can I speak to your wife at the same time? I said, yeah. And I said, yeah, you're trying to come over here. So we go into the little showroom and um, he told us what he did. He should come by and check out his establishment. But he's looking for a shirt maker. Mm-hmm. A bespoke shirt maker. I said, but are you doing bespoke clothing? Mm. Uh, and, you know, you're a merchant tailor. He says, no, we do a special order. We've got a small custom department. Then he turns to me, that's what I want you for. That's right. I said, oh, wow. This is a, this is a dream come true. This is Cinderella, man. Yeah. So we closed up our business. Taylor was born. We closed up our business in 1991. John St. Laurie ran it up until 1996, and the label was Avery Lucas for St. Laurie. Okay. And I give Andy Kozer, if he ever hears this conversation, yep. I give him credit all due. Because he took a chance on me. That's beautiful. I didn't really have a reputation of just being a sharp dresser, shows up to certain boxing events and mm-hmm. certain, you know, basketball games. And, you know, this guy's like outdressed anybody in there. Yeah, that was there. But being a craftsman. Yeah, that's the. He gave me my opportunity to put my work on paper. Yeah. Well, well St. Laurie in those years was, an ama- again, an amazing store. And a lot of it was the advertising. And I found out about it because you folks had the best, you know, you know, really the way the way they photographed the clothes and the way they. Well, he, he, he did. He spent a lot of money in clothes and yeah. advertising. Yeah. The rest was all inside. The trousers was made on the second floor. Oh, the the coats were made on yeah, yeah. Great. The stuff. trousers were made on the second floor. The coats were made on the third floor. Mm. A full alteration department. I mean, we're talking big loft space. We're talking about a whole building that covers a half a block. That's right. Uh, full alterations done on the fourth floor, and the first floor was showroom. Mm-hmm. Um, retail show space never put a lot of money into how he presented the clothing. They were on racks. They were on bars, metal bars, extended yeah. from the ceiling. Um, no mahogany, wood cabinets, no. and a lot of stuff you would see in yeah. upper end. His concern was the, the product. Yeah. The product. Sure. It was about the product. Yeah. So how do you get your product out there? He did a great series of ads in the New York Times. Yep. And the and remember those the product itself yeah. when he introduced Saint Laurie. Yep. Avery Lucas for Saint Laurie. Yeah, sure. Here goes your Pat Harrington, which is a big PR girl. Um, Loving and Wine Thrall. Um, mm-hmm. had me under their wing. They handled the Avery Lucas part of it. And it went from, you know, being with St. Glory, it was in DNR damn near every week. Yeah, that's right. It was in New York Times, Esquire, Gentleman's Quarterly, mm-hmm. um, um, Spy Magazine. Mm, I remember, um, I remember yeah, Spy Cold, yeah. Cold Magazine, right. Detail Magazine. Details, all this, yeah. Um, um, Oh, God. Corky, 
Pokey Pollock that did the um she did the uh, best best best, which was in the New York yeah. magazine. Yeah. Uh, it was just a lot of exposure. How 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 today how would you describe your house style that you created there in terms of the coat and the lapel, the trouser, and the, anything you want to say about about what you do? Okay, let me put it this way. It's not now. It's not the Avery 2021. Okay, <laughs> going back to that question, it was pure 110% Hollywood. It was Cary Grant, Fred Astaire, Adolph Manju, William Powell. Oh, yeah. Oh, it just, you know, didn't name all the the big screen gal. Yep. From the shoulder to the lot of the roping on the sleeve, mm-hmm. the drape through the chest, nipped and tucked at the waist. Um, of course, I've always been a side vintage fan. A lot of flair through the seat. Mm-hmm. Higher waist trousers that had to be worn with braces. Yeah. The only way you're going to keep them up. Um, we do do an odd trousers with a side buckle strap, which was called the Grant. The Grant. But That's, yeah, but kept, everything yeah. was inspired from history, apparel arts, mm-hmm. which later on became Esquire. Mm hmm. I have a complete collection. You kind of one or two in the world has got a complete collection of pearl art in hardcover. They sit in a box. Avery, do you mind? Because I just recently did a show on our podcast where the guest was Elizabeth Williams, who's the courtroom illustrator, high profile cases, Bernie Madoff and Harvey Weinstein. She's Mm. those. And I mentioned the name Lawrence Fellows to her. And, um, it took her a while, but she says, "Oh, I know, I know, fellows. He's considered one of the great, greatest artists of the thirties. It was Lawrence Fellows, yep. and Herb. Yeah, Herbert Herb was just as good. So you, oh, you're saying in your home there, you have you have original copies of Fellows, and those. I would say Lawrence Fellows did the entire series, right. and then Herb started in the forties. They mm-hmm. they stopped. They ended at um, World War II. Was the last issue, nineteen forty four. Yeah. Um. Then you see, it's strange. And, you know, cats got to know the history. The closing of the t- late twenties throughout the early thirties mm-hmm. and early forties went through a major change mm-hmm. after nineteen forty four, going into nineteen forty five. Yeah. There was very little double pleated. Trousers, the pleats wasn't as deep. They slimmed down the bottom. They mm-hmm. took off the drape and the coat. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they put more padding in the shoulder to get that masculine look. But there was a thought of cloth. Yep. We got to cut down on cloth. So if you're going to cut down on cloth, you got to cut down on the details and the making of it. Yeah, conservation of cloth and all that. War, the war and board and all that. And the, oh, yeah. The war. Yeah. Plan. So, so you, you, you developed your own style and vision. You were able for how many years to do that at St. Marie? You said the nine through the nineties or the or the uh, yeah, early nineties to ninety six is when I went to Alfred Dunhill. Oh Bespoke. interesting. Yeah. I uh, it's strange because Talk about I knew that the change. real because I a- knew the real Dunhill tailors. 
which was Leon and Norman Block, two brothers. Just tell you a little bit, maybe you can research. Well, I know that George Hamilton um, in the movie Love at First, right? Oh, Frank Sinatra, Tony Bennett. Yeah. Um... Oh God! Um, Dean Martin, yeah. Jerry Lewis, mm-hmm. these all were Dunhill Taylor's right. patriots. Not Alfred Dunhill. Alfred Dunhill was a British company yeah. came over and opened up this retail store. That was a huge lawsuit. That's right. Done. Alfred Dunhill won because of their size of their purse. Yeah. Uh, so you you found but, yourself at, at at the real Dunhill. Right. Um, Taylor's, right? Dunhill Taylor's, to me, by far, mm-hmm. made the best navy blue hot sack blazer mm-hmm. in the world, and nothing has been created yet to touch it. Yeah. And it was all in the cut. Yeah. And the navy blue hot sack. Even for summertime, it wouldn't go below 11 and a half ounces. Yeah. 15, 16 ounces for winter. Winter. You know, that was normal then. Now the day, oh my God, I can't weigh anything over eight and a half ounces. That's winter. I said, okay. It looks like crap, too. It looks like you slept in it. It looks like crap because it's too thin or because it's too fragile a a cloth? It's the technical part of it. The yarns, the yarn is the yarn. But you can only spin a yarn two months before it becomes a delicacy. It becomes too fine. Yeah. Like, I can't get out here in this Bugatti and ride it through the streets of uptown Manhattan with the potholes and the way the streets are. With the six six or seven ounce worsted. Yeah, I don't know, but... Yeah, it's the same scenario, man. I believe in longevity. I I lost my father June of last year. I inherited his entire wardrobe. And some of that stuff that was made in the 60s. Oh, wow. Bulletproof. 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 So it's not just bulletproof. It's bulletproof. Yeah. And he wasn't the type of guy to just, you know, buy things and have to sit in the closet to occupy the space. (laughs) You know, he dressed every day. Yeah. And, I, and I'm looking at the trousers. I'm looking at his knitwear, some of his shirts, his mattress, the stitching on, the way the point is on the collar, mm-hmm. the quality of the button. Mm-hmm. I'm like, damn, man, what's yeah. wrong with people these days? Why did yeah. you go backwards? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's amazing. I I so you so you you mentioned that they they you're, they were known or they make the greatest blazer. Um, but yeah. what would you say that in general you took from that experience at Dunhill, in terms of what they did style wise in general that that you liked or that was well, um, it all has evolved to the point you asked a few uh, question a moment ago. Let me tell you what my house style is now. Oh yeah, I live by that. I won't do anything else. Guy can come in with me and says, "I'm gonna give you a million dollars, but I want this suit like this." I'm going to point to the door, walk him to the door. I would love a million dollars. <laughs> yeah, that's a decent, pretty decent payday. Yeah. That's a pretty decent year, not too shabby. <laughs> I will walk him to the door, and I'm gonna tell you why. Yeah. Because I tell you, it's not about money. It's yeah. about what I 
worked all my life for. That's right. I've had some breakdowns, yeah. some collapse in terms of spirit and mental behavior. It has eaten me up, but it spits me back out to be strong and do it again. So I can't turn my back on it. Mm. My house model is everything that I probably say from the age of 23. Mm. I am now 65 years old. Oh. And it, it goes like this. That collar must hug the neck mm. like a woman puts her arms around you. It has a romantic shoulder mm-hmm. that pleases the eye. Mm-hmm. The sleeve head is an exaggerated expression, a lot of toughness to it, not rope. Toughness. Mm. It's just a big sleeve squeezed into a little teeny armhole. Mm. A very strong chest, military, almost like an admiral type. Mm-hmm. Nipped at the waist and just let be free, let hang free mm-hmm. in the feet. So I kind of describe mm-hmm. an English garment. I was just going to say, it's it, you're, you're probably making... Uh, closer to a, a real English garment than many, many. Oh, my man. Oh, let's not get it twisted. Yeah. I love Italian clothing. Yeah. I spent a lot of time in Italy. A lot of them, my friends. That's right. From Naples. Big, big audience in France. Mm-hmm. Love Milan. And I love, really love the Romans. Mm-hmm. You know, your Caracin, you you know. When they was, man, their canvas was like, hell, man, you could just wear the damn canvas. You don't cover it up. It was bulletproof. Mm-hmm. Bulletproof. Yeah. Um, but I still come back to the day of Henry Poole and Huntsman. And Huntsman. Absolutely. Yeah. Not so big of a fan of Anderson and Shepard, or G's and Hogs. Mm-hmm. Uh, Anderson Shepard to me was nothing just a, a watered down version of Hollywood clothing. Yeah. The soft draped chest, the draped garment. A lot of people think, oh, the draped garment is here. No, the draped garment is a whole different animal. And they think the drape is in the front of the chest where it's, you know, soft, it kind of gap, you know, it kind of collapses a little bit. There's a little ripples. And because, no, a draped garment is in the back. That's right. It's the shoulder blades. Mm-hmm. And it just cleans up right at the waist and then flares out. Mm-hmm. You know, you get a lot of some of my clients that come in their wives and they want, they come in for fitting mm-hmm. and they say, well, look, what about this? It's pointing right at the blades. It's a little, it's a little wavy here. I said, yeah, that's for movement. Mm-hmm. I said, because if I don't give it some drape right there, Mm-hmm. When he goes to reach for anything, he's going to be uncomfortable. Yeah. He's not going to feel this cold on him, even button up, sitting down, reaching down, tying his shoe. Mm-hmm. The coat's going to go with him. Yeah. You got to know anatomy. You got to understand how we, you know, a lot of people talk about, um, you know, pocket, placement, pocket treatment. Study your movement. Uh-huh. That's why I don't do an on-scene pocket on the trouser. 
My staple is a step pocket. And you step into it. It's just like a stairway. You step into it. Yeah. You know, my coat pockets are an inch and a quarter higher than the norm. Because that's when you go to reach in your arm. You raise you start from your shoulder. Don't realize when you raise your arm. You start from your shoulder to your elbow, to your wrist. To your hand, and when you make it higher, it's comfortable to get in and out of that pocket. That's true. When it's low or normal, mm-hmm. you go to raise your hand, you right there in the pocket. Mm-hmm. No, also raising the pocket gives you a leaner look mm-hmm. on the coat. You're not putting details at an area that's about to end which is the bottom of the coat. So raise it. Still tell a little story from the pocket down to the, the finished skirt. Yeah. I, while we're on the subject of the of trousers, I want to ask you uh, about your trouser because, you know, pants, you know, have been really mis... We've had some really awful trouser models in popular mass market pant, right, for 10 years or however long. Pretty bad stuff, in my opinion. And... Um, I'm just wondering what you do in a trouser because it's it's got to be better than well than what. Let's speak about trousers. Before even I got into the coats, making yeah. coats by hand, I met a guy in 1979. I came here January. I met Jamie Pierre, huh? Somewhere around June, which is a handmade trouser maker from Panama. Lived in Brooklyn, had a small little shop in a very dangerous little neighborhood, but I didn't give a shit. I wanted this man to teach me everything about making trousers and patterns. Um, Chris, um, Christopher Green, another guy from Trinidad, was a trouser maker. Man, these cats make the most beautiful trousers under God's sun. And I studied under them. Mm-hmm. The importance of, I would ask the cat now, you know, which side do you dress on? Yeah, that's right. And he looked at me like, what do you mean? Yeah. And I, I just kind of like, I said, where do you wear your package? Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, on the left. Okay. The trousers must be reduced on the right side of the trouser mm-hmm. to keep it balanced. You know, um, I, mm-hmm. I know she got a slightly right hip that's a little higher than the left. You got to cut it with a high right hip. You stand in front of a guy and you look at his posture and he may be straight. Or he may be not needed. He's come in. You use your hand. Mm-hmm. I bought it all, too. You use your hand and put it right there at his knee. And however many fingers you get there and how far you can spread it, that can tell you where to cut, how to cut his pattern. Yeah. And if he's bow-legged, that's usually like one hand totally extended with the pinky finger touching one and the thumb touching another. That's a pretty wide spread. He's bow-legged. You got to cut his paper, his pattern, mm-hmm. for that. Yeah. Now you cut the pattern, you cut the paper, now you're getting to make it. Here's the beauty that a lot of people don't know. Under pressing, 
Underpressing is when you're making a trouser, you got to shape it, mold it, pull on certain areas, shrink certain areas, a lot of water, a lot of heat, pressing it down, holding it to it. You're, it's like sculpture. Mm-hmm. You're and, building. And no matter what dumb dry cleaner they send it to for cleaning or pressing, you can't kill it. Mm-hmm. You can't change it. Because it was made that way. Mm-hmm. And I always am a big fan of a higher waistband. I mean, yeah. I don't know. It's coming back. It's coming back. I must it, is say. Com- it is coming back. I mean, I've been wearing that trouser with the high waist for 30 years myself. Yeah. Um, you won't go wear anything else with Charlie. <laughs> that's true. So, you know, Charlie, did, how, so, you know, I know that you, I didn't see that picture you said you posted on the Instagram. I couldn't find it, but, um, but me and Charles Davidson. But what do you have any stories about Charlie? No, not as yet. Not as yet. Because I've got to find the right caption. Oh yeah. To deserve right. the picture. It's it's it, it's it's um yeah, pants have been really I mean the the legs are too 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 narrow and too um I don't know, just what what's what do you see out there is kind of a is kind of a curse in a way, but uh, you know, I, I, so you're saying we got, we got hit, man. Like started probably around 2010, 2012. Yeah. Uh, with European men turning a, a jean fit mm-hmm. into a pair of trousers with a suit. That's what they did. That's what they did. I mean, it's just so close to the body. Nothing should be that close to the body outside of your t-shirt and your shirt. That's right. And your shoe. And your shoe. Oh, a shoe shit. Yeah. Oh, go um, right? So, but the thing, um, you know, my trousers is always, um, Mitch, I'll be honest with you, I only really, uh, I've got a model, two models. I do a one forward pleat mm. with an extensive waistband. Yeah, that's what I do. Hook and Hook and eye. That's what I do. the waistband, same. The extension goes all the way to the side. See? Same. I don't want to see it in the front, center front no more. It's a disturbing line. That's interesting. When you come to the fly, and then there's a little extension that steps off about two and a half inches yeah. away, and there's an extension. Why? Extend it. Make it look a clean look. And also, help, it helped me a lot now. ran across it was using a wider waistband for a dinner suit. He didn't want a waistcoat. He didn't want a cummerbund. He said, well, how can I make it look formal? That's right. Said, ah, hmm. I'm going to extend the waistband almost to the side seam. That's- and you won't see the opening of it. The guy says, man, you're brilliant. You're yeah. brilliant, kid. <laughs> well, I guess, I guess what a lot of tailors did is they would use the waistcoat to dispense with that. Oh, supposedly dispense with that issue, right? So they waistcoat. They, um, of, of course, of yeah. course. But, you know, you know speaking the, on that particular item, the waistcoat, yeah. oh, God, it's just so disturbing mm-hmm. to see guy wearing three pieces or an odd waistcoat with an odd trouser and a tweed jacket, mm-hmm. and you see the waistband of his trouser yeah. below the waistcoat. Mitch, I cry. I get sick. Oh, yeah, I get the same. I, I, I get nauseous. I mean, yeah, you see, I mean, you see, you see the shirt, right? You see the shirt sticking out and the, and the 
Oh, you see that H, the Hermes belt, or the Gucci belt, walkers, you know? yeah. and I'm like, my man, this is not gentleman's clothing. Yeah, well, it, it misses the whole point of the suit. It's supposed to be a line. You know, you're supposed to have a continuous line, right? Not break up the line. It's kind of a... It's, Absolutely. And it must be a romantic story within that line. Oh. Wow. And you get these lines as any designer tailor, yeah. a true one. It's all in my tools. We got hip curves, French squares, all types of little plastic tools, wooden tools, your L square. You got all the tools to create shape. But a lot of guys don't have the eye. And I can't blame them for it. I can't. Yeah. It's just the way they were born. Yeah. God blessed me with the eye. Yeah, you and he gave eyes. me a father that fine-tuned that eye. Well, now you get to study your dad's clothes, right? That you that you because you have you came into possession of them. Well, must be must be amazing. It, it, it's no longer a secret. Um, I'm going to introduce some collectibles. It's not going to be a collection. It will it will be on its website. Oh, okay. On the Lucas Dressing Academy. Yeah. And every piece on there is going to be a rebirth of my dad. Oh, everything. Wow. Uh, I just spoke with a guy um, earlier this morning because UK um, is on a different time. My father wore clock socks. He says, what's clock socks? They're thinking of a damn watch. No. Oh, it's a start design of, of hose. Yeah, hosiery. Yeah, it, on the hosiery, it, it was always on the outside of the leg. It either had a diamond pattern oh. or some little flawed pattern. Or the real aristocrats wore their initials embroidered. My father's got JTL on most of his songs. Yeah. And I'm sorry if I get a little emotional, oh. but I miss my dad, man. Oh. I do. Because he taught me so much. Well, it's only been a year. Yeah. It's a, not, not, you know. um. Yeah. And it's a year that's going to never end. Yeah, I'm all. I, I lost my mom in March as well, uh, 2020, right at the introduction of the pandemic. Wow. My mom, my mom was a style gal. Yeah. My mom was cocktail dressing. That re little, reminds me because little open band shoes, little Jackie Kennedy shoes, okay. you know, swing back, you know, seam of her stockings, right? Um, hats, gloves. Bad. My mom was a monster. I I could I could listen to you talk all day because you speak like a poet. In other words, the way you articulate uh, uh, about clothes is poetic, and it's, it makes for a great episode. But uh, you know, I hate, unfortunately all all good things, even good things, come to an end, and we're approaching a uh, conclusion. But I, I'd love to have you back and and talk more. It would be an honor. Before we go, do you want to speak a little bit about positive things in women's wear, what you see that you like today, if anything, or you see something, I like the way that dress is made or that skirt is made or something that you, is it? Well, cross I'll tell you some of my favorite designers are. Sure. Ale Alexander McQueen mm -hmm. and Christian Dior. Yeah. Case, man. Case at a high level. 
Yeah. Not just cutting stuff and using organza and then finding silks and, and fattens yeah. in the world. Mm-hmm. No. There's structure to it. There's someone that paid attention to details, balance. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Dior. Dior. Um, and Chanel, but Chanel did nothing but boucle suits. Yeah. Big deal. Coco, I love you. But yeah. you were no deal. You were you were not an Oscar de la Rente. Oscar de la Rente was an amazing designer, right? Really? I mean, yeah. I, yeah. What do you have to? I mean, what comes to mind about him? Because he was, a, you know, anything that thoughts about you mentioned him, mentioned him, and then. What, well, I guess the first thing he was Dominican, and, and right. so was my wife, and That's beautiful. <laughs> Three quarters of my family is Dominican uh, from you know Dominican Republic. Yep, and then he was just a guy that was he was a troubled guy. Oh, and okay. he was so creative, man. Yeah. A lot of these guys that I'm speaking about, we weren't no, we're not normal people. Yeah, we're not. Man. We have emotional issues. Mm-hmm. We are. Saddened by a lot of things that we visually see and hear. Mm-hmm. I listen to opera. I cry. Yeah. You know, I see a certain color. I got to touch it and rub it between my fingers. It's almost like I'm having an affair with yeah. my visual and my thought process. Sure. I have affairs throughout the day. Yeah. Every day. That's beautiful. I really, so I would like to really end up by saying that um, I am thankful that I'm still alive and living and living well. Mm. I'm humble. I'm merciful for it. And I will always owe the menswear industry my best. Mm. I owe you guys that were customers audience, whatever role you play in, I had Keith Avery Lucas hold you my best. Mm-hmm. Because without you guys, I had nothing to work for, but to work the walks. And I would like to end it and say, I am blessed with two wonderful children. And that's Keith Lucas and Taylor Lucas. Mm-hmm. They my world and every day I think about my legacy so when I'm gone they've got a man that they can be proud of yeah they can talk about they can promote in their own genre yeah you know who my dad was oh that really that was your dad that was my dad yeah and my daughter says it all the time that's my dad. <laughs> I was like, why you? That's kind of rude. She said, like, I just don't know about it to make no mistakes. Mm. You're my dad. I said, okay, appreciate it. Much appreciated. But she's, they both are very proud of me. Sure. And they put a lot of energy mm. into me. They keep me young. They keep me young. Yeah. Well, I don't. I don't really think I could have a better or more beautiful episode on our podcast. And I, um, 
I want to thank you for your, of course, your generosity of time, but also the way, again, the poetic way you articulate things. There's just nothing, nothing, uh, I can't think of anything better, better way to spend my time. So thank you so much. Uh, thank you, Mitch. I appreciate you. And I'm looking forward to do it many times again. Yeah, we will. I, I uh, promise you, I will never be boring. That is true. <laughs> thank you very much. Until the next time, stay well, my friend. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye now. I don't like goodbyes, so I'll see you soon, folks. Thank you. Thank you.